What we were as children of Adam has died with Christ, and now he rises from the dead in newness of life. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Every Christian faces the issue of sin after conversion. Many believe the struggle is hopeless, but the Bible explains that God has saved us not only from the penalty of our sins, but from the power of sin in our lives. What is the dominion of sin? Are we under it? How are we identified with the death of Christ? And what does that mean? How can we have deliverance from sin? Bill Prost will take us through these and other subjects this week on the Bible Truth Podcast. If you have comments or specific questions about the subject that you would like answered, please contact us at the following email, info at bibletruthpodcast.com. Welcome back to the Bible Truth Podcast. And today, our brother Bill Prost is joining us to take up the first of a series of Simple Christian Truths, and the first topic is deliverance from sin. So, Bill, whenever you're ready, get us started. Thank you very much, Josh. The subject I'd like to take up today, as Josh has already said, is deliverance from sin. Let's read together, first of all, a few verses from Romans chapter 6 and also one verse from Galatians chapter 2. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. 
for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. And then in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul speaking, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Those who are true believers know that their sins have all been washed away by the blood of Christ. We read in Acts chapter 13 and verse 38, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. However, I'll tell you a short story about a little boy that I know quite well, although he's not a little boy anymore. He was brightly saved when he was about four years old. But about two weeks later, he came to his father with tears in his eyes and said, Daddy, I'm saved, but I still do bad things. Poor little guy. He thought that when he got saved, all that would be in the past. And he found to his sorrow that that old sinful self that did the bad things was still with him. We might use an analogy Sometimes we have a tree that produces bad fruit. Maybe you don't have this in every part of the world, but alongside my home where I used to live, I had black walnut trees. And every year it produced, or those trees produced a tremendous crop. And I had to clean all those walnuts up. But what happened the next year? Same thing all over again. Why? Because the tree was still there and it still produced what it was accustomed to producing. That is like our old sinful nature. And when we are saved, God does not take it away from us. In the book of Romans, however, up until chapter 5 and verse 12, as we have said earlier, we get the whole question of our sins taken up and how God has met that whole problem with the precious blood of Christ. However, God has also given us the ability, if I can put it this way, the ability to resist the tendencies of that old sinful nature, even though we still have it with us. And we read that in Romans 6, because it's connected not so much with the blood of Christ, but rather with the death and resurrection of Christ. We read in Romans 6 here that Christ died unto sin once. That is not sins, plural, but the whole question of sin in its root and its principle. Christ died unto sin. And then he rose again. What does that mean? It means that in the death and resurrection of Christ, 
God saw the complete end of what I was. And you were, if you were truly saved, what I was as a child of Adam. As a child of Adam, I was born in sin, as David said, and shapen in iniquity. I have an old sinful nature. Can it be reformed? Is there any good left in it? No. And yet, you know, and I know by bad experience that we keep trying to see if there's some good in that old sinful self. God says it deserves nothing but death. What does Romans 6 teach us? It teaches us that we, as identified with Christ, are seen as having died with him. That is that old sinful self. What we were as children of Adam has died with Christ. And now he rises from the dead in what? In newness of life. God has given each one of us a new life in Christ. And he wants you and me to exhibit that new life in our Christian pathway. Oh, you say, how do we do that? Every time I try, it seems that that old sinful self is stronger than I am. What we need to realize is that just as the power to be saved from our sins through the blood of Christ is outside of ourselves, so the power to resist the tendency to sin and its power in my life is also outside of myself. Both are in Christ. How many there are in this world who are doing their best to try and be saved through their own efforts? And of course, it never works. The only way to be saved is to realize that I have no power to save myself. I have to look to Christ. When I look to him, I find out that the work has already been done. And what I need to do is believe it and receive it. It is in much the same way, the way in which you and I are delivered from the power of sin in our lives. Sometimes we have this idea that when it comes to salvation from the penalty of our sins, that, well, that's by grace through faith, not of ourselves. But then once we're saved, well, then the rest of it is up to me. Now it's through my efforts from here on out in order to live a life of deliverance. But that's not the case at all. That deliverance from the from the power of sin in my life is really through the same through the same resource. It's outside of myself and it's by grace and through faith. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And we'll talk about this perhaps in another talk when we consider Romans seven. But we find that the poor man in Romans 7 is trying to do just what you say, Josh. He tries his hardest because he has a new life in Christ that wants to please the Lord. And he sets out trying to do that. But every time he tries, he finds that the old sinful self is too strong for him. And he says, what I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. 
And I think all of us have had to some degree that experience, haven't we? Yes. And finally, he ends up by saying at the end of the chapter, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the power of this death? And he realizes that he has to look to Christ. Bill, would you say then that the ability to resist the temptation to sin and the desires of that nature, which we call deliverance, is it possible in this lifetime to completely remove the nature? As I know there are, there are some religions that would teach that through a process, through going through a series of, of punishments of self, that we can get to the point where we've actually removed that nature from us. How would you, how would you answer that? Well, I believe that one verse in the Word of God really answers that, and it is 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. The blood of Christ is mentioned in verse 7 as that which has put away our sins, and in that sense, every believer is positionally in the light. It could read in verse 7, since we walk in the light. As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And according to verse 7, whatever the light reveals, the blood has cleansed. But then verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If I try to pretend that the old sin nature has been burned out, I am only deceiving myself. And as you have, Josh, so have I met individuals who claiming to have conquered and, as it were, had the old sin nature burned out, have only deceived themselves. And I remember well a man who claimed that. And a dear brother in Christ said, I would like to ask some of your friends and your wife about that statement of yours, that you never sin. And needless to say, the man walked away in a huff. He knew very well what his wife would say. And I have no excuse to sin, nor does the word of God ever assume that I will sin. But because down here in this world, we never get the complete victory over sin. God makes provision for us if we sin. And that's the ninth verse of First John chapter 1. That's wonderful. To realize when we take up the subject of deliverance from sin that, that God has given us everything we need. He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And that it's not hopeless. The fact that we have a sin nature, that we will have that until... We go to be with the Lord until he comes for us. God has given us everything that we need to have deliverance from that. And that in itself is a triumph of grace. Amen. Well, a couple more remarks I'd like to make. Number one, we notice that in Romans 6, baptism is mentioned. When we take baptism, and it is important that we do so, we go down under the water and then come out of it. What does that mean? It means more than one thing. 
it means, according to Ephesians, that we put on Christ. Yes, very definitely. And in that sense, we are identified with his name in this world. But it also signifies that we take the place of having left behind in the waters of death all that we were before we were saved. We recognize that that old man and all that is associated with him deserves nothing but death. There is no such thing as reforming the old nature. And to try and live the Christian life, as we were talking about earlier, in my own strength is really trying to use that old sinful nature to see if we can live the Christian life in its power. And all it does is produce more sin. And we are disappointed day after day, moment after moment, hour after hour. When we are baptized and come up out of the water, we recognize that that new life that we have in Christ is the life that God wants to see displayed down here in this world. And more than that, although it doesn't bring it in so much in Romans 6 here, we are also indwelt with the Spirit of God. That's in Romans 8, which is the power and energy of that new life. And so, as we have in this sixth chapter, we are positionally, through the death and resurrection of Christ, brought into a place where that old man has been crucified with Christ. God saw the end of us as children of Adam in the death of Christ. And now, God sees us with a new life in Christ. What are we entitled to do then? First of all, we know that we are in that position. Why? Because God says so. God says so. I'm saved from my sins because God says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I am identified with Christ in his death and resurrection because God says so. And then, according to Romans 6 and 11, I am entitled on that account to reckon myself, to say, I take that place practically into which God has already put me, and I reckon myself to be indeed, as it says, dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then finally, in Romans 6 and 13, I am able to yield myself unto God as those that are still in their sins, alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of, unra uh, instruments of righteousness unto God. What do I do if a sinful thought suddenly comes into my mind? I can do one of two things. I can allow it to circulate in my mind, to reverberate through my mind, relish the thought, and keep thinking about it. That's the old sinful self asserting itself. Or I can simply turn away from it and say, that isn't me anymore. That's not I. I am in Christ. I have a new life in Christ. 
That's the old man. And he's dead. I can reckon him to be dead. Think of a dead man. Suppose during his lifetime, and let's use an illustration, he is very fond of eating and we'll use something that we can understand here in North America, a good beef steak. But if I were in other countries, and we'll use India as an example, I might like biryani. That's lamb that is cooked up and served over a bed of rice. Very, very fond of it in India. And I, I've eaten it myself, and I enjoy it too. Suppose a man that's very fond of lamb biryani and rice, but he's dead. And I hold a plate of that up before him. Does he react to it? Does his nose begin to inhale the odor of that good meat and rice? Does he indicate that he would like to eat it? No. Why? He's dead. And everything that he was as he was alive is gone. That's the way you and I are and should take the position of being towards sin. Wonderful place to be. Do we always do it? I have to point the finger right here and say no. But I can do it and I should do it. Simply turn away from that sin and think about something better. Bill, I really enjoy the way you brought that out and how it begins with knowing what God has told us. If we act based on our own feelings and what comes from our own mind, we're going to get off course. I've been told that when an airline pilot is flying in the clouds or flying in the darkness and they lose their instruments, it becomes very disorienting very quickly and they don't know whether they're going up or down or left or right. And airplane accidents can happen because they're flying blind. We can't trust our own feelings about these things because what we need is God's word and what he has told us. And so what we've had in Romans 6 is, is those instruments that we can trust. It's God giving us what we need to know. And what we need to act on. As you said, that's not me anymore. But I might feel like that is me. But I can't trust my feelings. I can't trust what's coming out of my own experiences. I have to trust what God says. And know that sin no longer has dominion over me. And know that I am dead with Christ unto sin. And then I can reckon. And then I can yield. And that is the way of deliverance. And I think that that is so helpful to see that it all comes back to taking God at his word. Amen. And it all, as you say, starts with that and it really ends with that because we've all had the experience from time to time of Satan bringing doubts into our minds about our salvation. And then, as you say, Josh, we don't rest on feelings. We rest on what God has said in his word. And there are times when, as you said, our feelings will get the best of us and we can persuade ourselves that somehow, some way, there may be some good in that old sinful self. 
and that our feelings are helpful to us. Once again, we go back first and foremost to God's word and what he says about our old nature and about we were as children of Adam and where he has put us now as having been identified with the death and resurrection of Christ. Wonderful. One more point I'd like to mention, though, and I believe you mentioned this, Josh, in private conversation, the whole question that sometimes, despite all of this, sin seems to be getting dominion over me. And we'll try and cover that a little more in our next talk, but I'd like to refer to one verse in Psalm 19 just to bring out one point. <clears throat> Psalm 19, and of course, this is David speaking long before the truth of full salvation through the blood of Christ and deliverance from the power of sin was known. But nevertheless, David recognized something here that it is important for us to look at. Psalm 19, and he says in verse 13, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. That means sins that I do willingly, not as a matter of ignorance. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. The only point I would make here is that if I deliberately and willfully allow sin in my life, first of all, starting with my mind, that's where it all starts. And then, of course, ultimately, as a man thinketh, so is he. Ultimately, thoughts will translate into actions. And small sins will translate into bigger sins. David recognized that. <clears throat> and if we continually allow smaller sins in our lives, we will find that eventually sin will start to have dominion over us. And then finally it will result in what David calls the great transgression. David knew from sad experience what the great transgression could be. He allowed smaller sins to escalate into bigger ones until he ended up in a very serious sin. And so I just say that as a warning to us. If we would judge our thoughts that others cannot see, we would not end up in actions which others can see. That is sinful actions. That's very good, Bill. Sometimes we use the word addiction. Indulging in one sin leads to another, a repetition, maybe a deeper, taking it a little bit further. I think we have a little bit about that in Romans 6. But then Paul adds the positive side to it as well in verse 16 of Romans 6. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey whether of sin unto death. That's what you were just speaking about, leading to the great transgression. 
And what happens if we entertain those thoughts and we don't, don't judge them, but then on the other side or of obedience unto righteousness. You could say that in a certain way, the tendency for one sin to lead to another, there's a parallel on the other side, isn't there? That when we walk in obedience, that one righteousness leads to another. And we come to learn the wonderful place of walking in communion with God. And we develop such a appreciation for that, that it draws us forward to want to do that next thing. And so there's that, that parallel path. You might say there's the addiction that's bad. One sin leads to another and down into the ditch. But on the other side, there's the addiction to what is good and what is pleasing to God. Amen. Thank you. Well, perhaps, as you say, in another talk, we can look a little more at Romans 7 and the experience of the man in it, and then perhaps say a word or two about Romans 8 without uh, going into the whole chapter. That sounds wonderful. Thank you, Bill, very much. Appreciate the time, and I trust this will be a, a help and encouragement to many. Thank you. Join us next time on the Bible Truth Podcast, where we will continue our discussion of deliverance from sin. If you have any questions about the topic, please email us at info at BibleTruthPodcast.com.